All right, well, uh, we're continuing our True You series this morning, and uh, I want to encourage you, for those of you who are note takers, that is a great practice to have. We gave out these uh, young adult notebooks earlier this year. Keep taking notes, keep pressing in. Uh, I really believe that this morning the Lord has some big things to say to us. You know, some weeks in the sermon prepping process, when when a pastor studies and when they're looking at texts and when they're kind of deciding on what exactly the message is going to entail, sometimes it's kind of a regular week and things are normal and you study and you craft a message and it's great and it speaks to people, but, but there's other weeks where there's a sense of urgency and, and there's a weight that comes along with it where, where you just sense this is, this is a message that's going to really talk to a lot of people and address a lot of situations. And I feel that way about this morning. Um, we're going to talk on some ideas, address some verses that I think are really going to be uh, impactful and encouraging and eye-opening for a lot of us and good reminders for, for uh, some more of us. So I want to encourage you, all that being said, to lean in this morning, whether that means taking notes, you know, with a pen and paper, whether that means on your phone, whether that just means being extra open and leaning in. But uh, I think this message is going to speak to a lot of us this morning, as the Word of God so often does. So the title of this morning is called Trees and Trust. Trees and Trust. And we're going to begin in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. A very, very well-known, probably one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in all of Proverbs, really in all of the Bible. Many of us can quote this off the top of our head, but let's take a second. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Let's be open and receive it. Think about your life circumstances, where you're at, and how this word applies to you. Because it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not some of it, not a little bit of it, but all of it. And do not lean on your own understanding. Instead, in all your ways, acknowledge him. That is becoming aware, recognizing the presence of the imminent God. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Here's the promise. If we do all these things, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So, Father, here we are this morning. We're here for you. Yeah, we're here for the coffee and bagels and fellowship, but, but at the end of the day, we are here for you. And before handling your scriptures and before jumping into this message, we just take a second and we pause, and we make space for you, Holy Spirit. We take a second and we cast aside our burdens. As the Psalms say, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Don't be anxious about anything but in everything. Pray, believe, and the peace of God will come. And so right now, Holy Spirit, we make space. We quiet our hearts for a moment and we just listen for you. And we ask that you would clear and cleanse away all the clutter in our lives that would keep us from hearing your word. Here we are, Lord. 
your people. We ask that you would speak truth and life to us, and I pray that we would commit to do everything that your word says. And we give all the praise to you in Jesus' name, and everybody said loud and strong, A-A-Amen. Well, as we look at today's American culture and the society in which we live, I think a lot of us may have different descriptors that come to mind. We all may initially say different things, think of different adjectives. Uh, for some of us, we, we may think first world, rich, wealthy, high class. Others of us, we, we may think diverse, racially diverse, spiritually diverse, really morally diverse in some ways. Others of us may think of uh, technologically advanced, how we're, we're one of the countries that's on the forefront of cutting-edge technology. We got Apple, we got this new Google phone that came out. We got VR already. We're like able to engage in virtual reality. How crazy is that? We're, we're incredibly technologically advanced. Some of us may think Miley Cyrus. I don't know. Some of us may think Kenny Chesney. Some of us may think Keith Urban and country and that whole thing. But, but there's, there's a lot of descriptors, I think, that we can, we can think about and process through as we think um, and assess our modern American culture. But I want to suggest that one of the biggest descriptors of our 21st century postmodern American society is one word, independent. It's a society that really since its infancy and since its origins has had this theme of independence. We look back at the American Revolution and obviously the the start of America as an established country. And this theme of independence ran deep, there's no doubt. This independence, this national liberation from England that we would come to the colonies and, and be a country of our own with our own laws and our own freedoms and our own liberties. And so really for largely the last 200, 240 years since the beginning of America, this theme of independence has run deep. But now, I think when we look at our modern society and we we look at how America has officially taken the step into the era of postmodernism, I think that this theme of independence has much deeper implications. I think that it runs way beyond independence in a nationalistic sense. Yes, obviously that's still existent, but, but I think now in our postmodern society, independence is stressed uh, on a moral level, on an ethical level, and yes, even on a spiritual level. Because after all, in a postmodern world, truth is all subjective anyway. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. So you live and you uh, believe what you want to believe because that's true. So you be independent. You, you put the focus on yourself. You be an individual. You live the way you want to live because that is what's truth. And so as we assess this, I guess, environment, this atmosphere in our postmodern society, this puts us in a difficult place as believers, doesn't it? Because Scripture tells us and makes it clear that we're not to be independent. That we are actually not our own. First Corinthians six eighteen says, We're not our own. We were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God. And the immediate application, yes, is to sexual immorality, but it's this principle of we are not our own. 
We are not independent. We are not to do life by ourselves and isolated and tucked away and assume that what we believe is actually true. But we're to embrace this life of dependency, of trust in the Lord. And so the question arises then, how do we, as the people of God, live dependent, trusting God, giving the entirety of our lives to him and leaving it in his hands and trusting that he's going to provide and work all the details of our lives out? How do we, as this people, live in a culture that so celebrates independence? And again, I'm talking beyond the nationalistic sense because uh, nationalistic independence is a gift, and it's, a, it's an incredible privilege to, for us as Americans to have liberties and freedoms. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this moral and spiritual independence that's saying you don't need God. You don't need something. If there even is a God, you do you, and then that's good enough. You do you, and then there's truth. And so we live in this culture today, in 2016, almost 2017, of independence. And apparently, really, things haven't changed that much in the last two, 3,000 years. Because here in Proverbs, our key text for the morning, we see Solomon. And Solomon is charging the people of God thousands of years ago to trust in the Lord. This idea that extends beyond time, really. It's a timeless idea. And many scholars believe that Proverbs uh, was collectively written early in the, the first millennial, millennium B.C., closer to the 900s. Other scholars estimate that maybe it's closer to the 500s when it was actually compiled, 500 BC. But regardless of when it was penned, the book of Proverbs, it becomes clear that it was written thousands of years ago and that this idea of trusting in the Lord really supersedes our immediate culture. And it's an idea that runs deep and that we see this charge to trust in the Lord, and, and we see that the people of God throughout the centuries have always had this charge, this encouragement to trust in the Lord, regardless of their external circumstances, regardless of what the culture says, that we are to put our trust and our faith in the Lord. You see, wholehearted trust in the Lord is the perennial call of the people of God. Wholehearted trust in the Lord is the perennial call of the people of God. And what that means exactly, perennial, meaning, uh, meaning timeless, meaning unending, meaning some, this, this, something that extends beyond culture and beyond generations. It's this thing that runs century after century after century. And we see throughout Scripture, uh, even in the book of Proverbs, that, that wholehearted trust in the Lord is this thing that believers have been called to throughout the ages. And the, thus, we are called to it today, but, but we're in this big story of, of trust, and regardless of what our life looks like, and regardless of what our struggles look like, and regardless of what culture says, and the pressures that we may carry thereof, we are called as the people of God, and have been for century after century, to trust in the Lord. And so, when society says, be individual— be independent. You don't need God. You don't, you don't need church. You don't need any of this. Then we know, no, we're wrapped up in this story, this identity, this, this perennial identity is the people of God to trust. 
regardless of external circumstances. And so with, with this call in mind, Solomon pens the words of Proverbs 3.5. Again, a very, very common, a very well-known scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight or direct your paths. And as we look at this passage, many of us in our 20s can feel like our paths are crooked, can't we? We can look at our lives and we can feel like things just quite aren't worked out. That we don't really, we don't have vocational clarity. We don't have an emergency fund in our bank account where, where we're good financially. We, we, don't, we don't have this decision on a degree. We've changed our degree three, four times and we still can't figure out what we're going to do. And your team just can't make it to the playoffs. Crooked paths. I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan. You Broncos fans don't have a problem with that. But, but it's, the road's been rough in Indianapolis the last couple of years. Spending $140 million on a quarterback that we have no idea how he's going to do. Your paths are crooked. And when our paths are seemingly crooked, we can, we can be discouraged. And we can slip into this temptation of trying to do life on our own. And, and kind of throwing in the towel with God, throwing in the towel with church, throwing in the towel with scripture and saying, you know, this whole thing really isn't working out. I'm going to do what I'm going to do and I'm going to make things happen on my own. And whether it's an acknowledged and conscious idea, it's an idea I think that can permeate our lives many times and cause us to live differently. But the Bible's clear as we read it really from cover to cover that as we put our trust in the Lord, not only are we fulfilling this call as the people of God and, and living into our God-given identity as the people of God, but it also positions us to actually receive the calling and the blessing and the future that God has for us. It positions us to fully step into the call of God on our lives individually. And I think we see this principle play out in Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. And we're going to go there right now. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. This is a general principle that applies to all believers. He says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Stop right there. Ooh, feel good passage. Just hang that on your wall. Put that in your car. Pray that over yourself every day. Mm, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. But he goes on. He is like a shrub in the desert. Keep it coming, Jeremiah. Man, this is feeling good. And shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But here... There's a shift. Jeremiah focuses, and in a way he's saying, but that's not your identity, O Israel. That's not your identity, O people of God. Because he says, blessed is the man who trusts in who? The Lord. Whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree. He's not a shrub. He's not in the desert. But instead, he's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Now, this scripture, I, I want to distinguish something real quick. This scripture um, often we can read scriptures like these and, and hear blessing, the word blessing in scripture, and immediately equate it with monetary blessing. 
or immediately equate it with occupational or vocational success. But I want to encourage you, be very, very careful when you do that in Scripture, because sometimes, and I I would actually argue many times in Scripture, the blessing that they're talking about is not monetary, and the blessing that they're talking about is not success. And that's not the case in this passage. This verse isn't talking about money or success. Because actually, we see in our lives, if we put the pieces together, that you can be successful without trusting in God. You can have a six-figure job, a multi-million dollar job, without trusting in God. We see CEOs, we see scientists, we see actors, we see musicians, whoever. Take, it, take your pick. We see people in our culture that are successful, and they don't give a rip about God. They don't trust God. They don't believe God. And so us believing that God is the one and only way to financial success and and, and security and abundance, really, I think that's bad theology. So we need to be careful when we read things like that. But Jeremiah instead is describing in this passage the spiritual state of one's life. And it's very important to keep that in mind. He's not talking about external success or, or, or money, but he's talking about the inner life the soul, the spirit of a man. And in doing so, he describes two kinds of people. He describes the spiritually dependent and the spiritually independent. The the life that is uh, apart from God, that doesn't trust in God, and the life that puts its full trust in God. First, the independent life. We see in Jeremiah that the independent life trusts in self, resources, and the finite Instead of the infinite, infinite God. We see that this life trusts in things externally. We see that this life puts so much stock and hope and trust and their future and present security in man and in resources and in things that are perishable, things that are finite instead of the infinite God. And, and Jeremiah likens this person to a cursed shrub in the desert. And the language here, he's talking about this plant that is completely isolated and completely cut off from a life source. This, this plant that, yes, it lives, and, and yes, it exists, but there's no fruit. There's no true life. There, 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 it's not connected to, to water or a river or anything that would cause it to bear fruit, but instead it is isolated on its own, a shrub in the desert. JC and I and our baby boy Rush just took uh, a vacation earlier this year to California. And, uh, and we took a road trip. We decided not to fly, but we would you know, brave the 15-hour road trip with an eight-month-old and and decide, hey, let's do this thing. It actually worked out pretty well. But for those of you who have taken a road trip to California, you'll be able to relate because we went the Utah route and we drove through Utah and it was gorgeous. I'm talking like you're seeing rock formations. We're, We're driving through Black Dragon Canyon and there are these massive rock formations as far as the eye can see. I mean, you're sitting there, you pull off on the side of the road and and you're just immersed in, in physical majesty. I mean, you're looking around, and this thing is amazing. It's ginormous. It's beautiful. It's awe-inspiring. Me and JC just stood there like, my gosh, this is amazing. And so we drive through Utah, and, and we go through Nevada, and we pass through Las Vegas, and that whole thing. But then, when we think of California, we tend to think beaches, Right, we tend to think sunshine. We tend to think like a dude with dreadlocks on a bicycle, like riding down the road, like blasting MGMT and all that stuff, you know. 
And we're like, oh, California, yeah, that's good. But if you've ever taken a road trip to California, you know full well that once you hit East California, you get into a little something called the Mojave Desert. And that thing is dry. We, we pass Black Dragon Canyon, we pass Nevada, and we get into California, and we reach the Mojave Desert, and it is just dry, flat, barren. And there's like some, some hills here and there and some plateaus, but, but really, you'd look to your left, and, and it's just shrubs as far as the eye can see. Desert shrubs, cactuses, plants that are completely dried up. And looking at those, those shrubs, yes, have life. And, and, and there are many of them. I mean, endless supply of shrubs as far as you can see. And, and, and it's dry. And it's like 100 degrees in the middle of, you know, midnight. I mean, it's, it's hot. It's gross. It's yucky. It's just a desert. And it's a place that's dry. And it's a place that's cracked. And it's a place that really has no ability to produce life. And we see these shrubs and these cactuses in the desert, and, and they're completely cut off. I mean, the ocean, when you're, when you're in the Mojave, is hundreds of miles away. I mean, that's a solid six, seven-hour drive, depending on where you are. I mean, you are far from a life source. You're far from the ocean. And I think this visual speaks so clearly to where our culture is today. Because we see people in our culture. We see the actors, the actresses, the movie stars— you know, the businessmen, whatever. And, and, and we see them completely isolated and cut off from God. And they say there is no God. We know what the Bible says about that. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They say there is no God. You do you. You be independent. You live the life you want to live. And, and they've hit, hit the, the ceiling, right? They've made it. They have got the fame. They have got the money. They, I mean, they have it all. They have the car they want to drive. They're living in the house they want. They're living in the state and the city and the place in the world that they want. They have the, the, the person, this, the, you know, a beautiful or handsome movie star that they've settled down with. They have it all. Anybody would say they've arrived. And yet they are a shrub in the desert. They are cut off from the life source of God. They've achieved it all, but we see brokenness. I feel like every single week I go to the store and I see this magazine that has a new scandal every single week. Many of us can, can attest to that. It's, oh, this divorce has now happened with this movie star couple, or, or, or this drug addiction has now come up, or this affair has just happened, and there are all these broken practices and, and addictive behaviors. Why? Because they're cut off from the life source. They have no life, and they're trying to cope with the dryness of their souls. They are a shrub in the desert because they've chosen, no, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live independent. And they try to make it on their own. They have success, but they are cut off. And they separate and segregate themselves from the one whom they were made for. And they hit it all, and they get it all, and it suddenly, there's a question mark in life. What is it? What, what, what is life worth living? What, what, what is here in life that makes my life worth meaning? And I think of the Jim Carrey quote. Many of us have heard it. But he, he essentially says, I hope that everybody gets all the money they want and gets to do everything they want and makes millions of dollars so that they realize that that's not the answer. Jim Carrey, people. Jim Carrey. Like Ace Ventura, Jim Carrey. Like Bruce Almighty, multi-million dollar Jim Carrey. He's saying this stuff. No, no, no. That's not it. There's something else. And I'm telling you, if you get there, you'll see why. 
the life source. They're shrubs in the desert if they live like that. And so Jeremiah gets to a second type of person. He gets to the life, not that's a shrub, not that's independent, but a life that trusts. And we see here that a life that trusts in the Lord is the life that lays down its arms of independence and plants itself in the faithful and unchanging God. A life that trusts in the Lord is a life that lays down its arms of independence and plants itself in the faithful and unchanging God. It's this life that surrenders everything, its present circumstances, its future realities and hopes and dreams into the hands of its creator. And saying, my life is not my own. I was bought with the price of the precious blood of Christ and I am the Lord's. And for me to take matters into my own hands and chart my own destiny and live the way I want to live, that is not um, fulfilling with my identity as a son or as a daughter of God. And they put everything in the Lord's hands. The person they want to marry, their vocational dreams, their degree path, the choices of today and tomorrow, it's all in God's hands. It's dependent, completely trusting on him. And Jeremiah likens this person to a tree that's planted by the water where it continually, I love the language here, this tree is just continually and endlessly drinking from the river, from the provisional river of God. And we see that regardless of what life looks like, for this tree, Jeremiah says, the drought comes and yet its leaves are still green. It's not anxious. It's just, it's there. It's thriving. It's growing. And so we see that the person who trusts in God, regardless of what life looks like, is still planted. There's still one that is connected to the life source, that is drawing life from him. And there may be drought, and there may be shrubs around them, and there may even be trees that have uprooted themselves from the life source, but they have chosen to plant themselves by the river, and they're drinking deep of the provisional river of God. And at times in our lives... When we do this, when we trust, when we decide, God, my life is in your hands, the entirety of my life. I'm not going to take matters into my hands. I'm not going to assume that I know better, but I'm going to trust you. We, we can be successful and we can thrive. That's probably a better way to say it. We can thrive and be healthy even in success and drought. When we're hitting it big, and when we got the degree we wanted, and when we landed the job that we wanted, and when we put a ring on the finger of that dime that we've been eyeing, and we love, and we're excited to spend the rest of our life with, like, like even in success, when, when we're on cloud nine and feeling great, we're thriving. And it's not because of the success, because we've already seen that success apart from the life source is, is a shrub in the desert, but we're able to still thrive. And then even in drought, when we're struggling, when our car just broke down and we don't know how we're going to fix it, when we're looking at our bank account and we don't know how we're going to get through the month, when we just ended a relationship that we thought was the one, when we're in drought, when we're struggling, when times are difficult, even there, the person that trusts the Lord can thrive and can draw life and nourishment from the life source. You see, many times, whether consciously or subconsciously, having made a firm decision in our minds or having just kind of lived based on an inlying assumption and thought process, we, we can live our lives independently. Even we as believers have this tendency. We can, we can think, ah, this is just not working. Like, 
I'm sick of waiting for a girlfriend. I'm, I'm sick of waiting for that relationship. I'm, I'm just going to date as many people as I want to date, and hopefully that I find the right one. And, and all the while, I wonder if God is saying, wait, no, I had to prepare your heart first. Plant yourself in me. You're not ready for this. Like, like trust me with the timing. I'm going to provide. I'm going to make things clear. I'm going to make things straight for you. I want to make your path straight, but just trust in me. And many times we can stop pressing into God or we can stop believing that God's our provider. Or we, can, we can try and muster up the strength to make things happen on our own. And all the while we are slowly disconnecting ourselves from the river. We're living a life of independence. And I think about it this way. Right now I'm talking to you through a microphone, Right? I'm talking to you through a headset. It runs right here. You can't even notice. Some of you might have even thought I had this massive pimple on my face. It's not a pimple. It's a microphone. And, uh, and this microphone is run by a battery pack. And, uh, and this microphone was created and made to produce sound. And it was created and made so that when someone talks through it, hundreds of people can hear that person talk. And so, so this microphone right now is connected to a battery pack. It's connected to something that draws life from it. And, and if at any moment in time I were to unplug this, but when I plug into the microphone, you guys can hear me. Why? Because it's connected to a life source. It's connected to something that, that breathes and, and flows juice and life into it. And I think our lives are the same way. We were created to be filled. We were created for life. We were created for a purpose. But if at any point in time we disconnect from the life source, we disconnect from the river, we stop trusting in God, we start living independently, well now, and though it was created for a specific purpose, it's not living up to that purpose. Why? Because it's not connected to a life source. Does that make sense? So when we take matters into our own hands and when we seek to live a life of independence, we are distancing and uprooting ourselves from the one whom we were made for and the one whom our lives just make sense with. And we can chase success and we can chase the job and we can chase the dime and we can chase the car and we can chase the boy or whatever. But if we aren't living a life of dependence, absolute trust in the Lord, then we're off. We've missed it. We're not living up to our, our identity, our God-given identity. And so many times we can worry and we can panic and we can struggle and we can think, ah, what is happening? My paths are crooked. Why does life look like this? Why am I not landing this job that I've wanted? Why am I out of college and, and I've struggled so hard to find this job? Why, why, why does relationships just not make sense in my life right now? Why, why am I feeling dry? Why am I struggling? Why is my bank account so empty? And though I can't promise that when we trust and lean into God, things will immediately make themselves straight, I can promise, based on the, the, the written word of Scripture that we've seen this morning, that our paths will become straight because we depend and we trust in God. And we're not the shrub that's out here, that's disconnected, that's trying to figure out life on their own, but we're a tree that's planted, just deep roots that extend to the river and draw life from the life source. So this morning, what things, what areas, I want us to think specifically, what areas in your life 
have you taken up arms of independence? What areas of your life have you either made, again, made a firm decision, but it doesn't even have to be a firm decision. It can just be an an inlying thought process or belief system that God's not going to provide. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. Where have you taken up arms and said, you know what, or thought, you know what, God, you're not, this isn't happening. This isn't working. The Bible says this, but I'm not seeing it. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to try and make things happen in my own strength. Or, or you've, you've harbored mistrust for your provider. What areas of your life do you need to lay down your arms? What areas of your life do you need to uproot yourself in the, from the desert and plant yourself in the river? It could be the entirety of your lives. If you've never come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, then your entire life is a shrub in the desert. And you're disconnected from God and you're disconnected from Christ and, and there's life and there's freedom and there's joy in Jesus. But, but for those of us who have, there's individual components to this too where relationally you can be in the desert. Whereas maybe, I don't know, occupationally, maybe, maybe you're in the river. Or looking at your bank account, you can be in the desert. Or, or going through college and trying to seek a degree and then eventually money and a job, you can be in the desert. What areas are you in the desert? What areas have you claimed independence? The invitation this morning is to surrender, like it often is. The invitation this morning is to lay down our arms of independence and cast them at the foot of the cross and look to Jesus as our provider. And we have the promise in Philippians 4.19, my God, your God, will supply all your need, all of it, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There may be spurts in your life where you got to trust, but God's promise to supply all your need, all your need, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so we look at the foot of the cross and we look up at Jesus and we lay down our independence and we say, God, I need you. I realize that I'm off. I realize that this area of my life has drifted from you and I'm coming to you and I lay down my arms and it's you. I'm dependent on you. So right now, let's just posture our hearts, position our minds and, and souls before the Lord. And I want us to ask that question, what is that area all of this feels good and it sounds good and it's great, but if there's no response and no action and no, no living out, no stepping and acting on this word, then it's fruitless in our lives. So right now, just posture yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. What is that area? Is it your finances? Is it your relationships? Is it that guy or that girl, that, that ultimate marital relationship that you so long for? Is it the job? What is it? Is it reputation? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that your word calls us to righteousness. We thank you that your word is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Why? So that we can be complete, we can be equipped, we can live holy. So God, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us. Would you reveal to us, like you already are right now, God, people across this room, myself even, God, I thank you that you're speaking to us and highlighting areas where we need to lay down our arms, 
where we need to surrender. Cast down our spiritual liberation and independence from you and confess dependence and say, God, I need you. You're the only one that makes sense of my life. You're, you're the one that completes me. You're the one that draws me into meaning and purpose and life eternal. So would you continue to speak to us, Lord? Let us lay down our independence and our rights and let us plant ourselves near the river, in the river, drawing life from our life source and creator God. We ask that as we discuss and as we nuance these ideas, would you continue to speak to us and make these ideas concrete and practical so that we may be able to do all that you would have us do, so that we may live it and be vehicles of obedience and glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. Stretch out, get comfortable. Let's jump into discussions. Questions are going to be on the screen. Nuance, dialogue, figure out what this looks like for you practically as you walk through these discussions. And God bless you as you discuss. All right, you guys can come to a conclusion on those thoughts. Wow, that was quick. Usually there's like a one, two-minute gap leading up to that. For our benediction, I want to do something a little different. Uh, Usually we stand and we kind of proclaim a verse and this idea as a way of of, uh, committing to do what we've heard. But this morning, I want to read a passage of Scripture over you, Um, a passage that is near and dear to my heart, a passage that I think we can all just settle into and just breathe and relax and rest in. Because one component that we didn't talk about in this whole thing is the place of worry and what worry does in us trusting the Lord. And maybe that's a future series or topic or, or whatever. But, but I think when we worry and when we look at our crooked paths, if we're sticking to Proverbs 3, then we can start panicking and we can start worrying and we can start feeling like, is God really going to come through now? And, uh, and that's planting yourself in the desert. That is not trusting God. Uh, Even if you say, oh, I trust God, and yet you worry, you're not trusting God. Your life is not living the life of trust. Your words may say it, but but your life and your emotional state and and your mind, you're, you're, you're not trusting God, at least in that moment. And so this morning, I feel like a lot of us are just dealing with worry and dealing with the weight of of anxiety and worry in our lives. And so instead of standing up and, and reciting this verse together as our benediction, I want to read Matthew 6 over you. And if you're dealing with worry, I just want you to just breathe in and receive this. This is Jesus. Tender, loving Jesus. Here's what he says. It's going to be up on the screen. But it says, That is why I tell you, not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about clothing? Why worry about the job? Why worry about the car? Insert your life situation here. 
Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. So how are we to live? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you, what's that word? Everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, Father, we pray that you would just guard us, our hearts, our minds with your peace. Lord, let us live lives that model trust, that model dependency on you, and let us be the people of God who go out this week and plant ourselves near the river and plant ourselves in a place where we draw life source and energy and fulfillment and destiny and health from you. And we commit to do all that your word teaches us this morning and in the weeks to come. And we love you and we thank you for what you've spoken to us. In Jesus' name and all God's people said loud, Amen. Amen.